This is Center Stage, putting your firm in the spotlight by highlighting business owners and other industry experts to help take your firm to the next level. Hey everyone, and welcome to Center Stage. I'm your host, John Henson, and this week, uh, talking about one of the biggest things that I think uh, lawyers, especially, but uh, even if you're not a lawyer, you know, most small business owners wish that they had more of, and that is time. Um, it was one of the biggest obstacles that kept kind of reappearing uh, in our legal marketing trends report that came out a few weeks ago. Uh, and it's something that I know so many of you are frustrated with, need some help with. And so this week we are joined by attorney Jen Lee to talk about just some different ways that you can find more time to be free, to just do whatever you want with it, with your life, whether it's, you know, going golfing more, you're spending more time with your family, or even if you want to just focus more of your time doing the work that you actually went to school for and actually get paid to do. Uh, so I, I'm really looking forward to this, Jen. Thank you uh, so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, John. I'm looking forward to it as well. Yeah. So um, why are you the person that we're talking to this week about finding more free time and, and doing more with the time that we have? So I've kind of found myself in this position where I grew a great law firm and then I had all these lawyers calling me to ask, okay, how did you do this? And what, how can I do this as well? And so over the last couple of years, I've started working more with lawyers on how to create that and how to come out of this traditional nine to five that we've been stuck in for, it seems like hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. So I guess kind of, kind of to start, you know, I know you talk a lot about the design of, of a firm. And so I guess, you know, talk about what you mean exactly by a firm's design, whether it's someone who's either like preparing to go out and start their own firm, or maybe someone who has been at it for a while now, and they've been in business for a couple of years. Yeah. And it's actually a very similar concept for both of those people. And what I mean by design, when I talk about designing your law firm is as attorneys we're very task oriented. We like checklists and we like to go through and see, okay, first I need a name and then I need to open a bank account and then I need malpractice insurance. And we miss this giant step at the very, very beginning of that, of thinking, why are we doing this? What do we want this to look like? And really, how are we going to position this so that we're happy? Mental health is important and trying to do something that's really makes sense to us. And so that design portion gets skipped and then you feel like you're always behind the eight ball. You're always chasing yourself. I can't catch up. I can't catch up. I can't catch up. And so when I talk about design, whether you're just starting out, you're ahead of the game if you're designing correctly. But if you're already practicing and you feel like you're trying to catch up, you can take a step back and redesign things. And so that's, I, I do harp on design a lot though. Yeah. So I guess, you know, what, what specific elements then of a firm, I guess, if that's kind of the way to put mm -hmm. it. Are, are we talking about that they design? Is it is it like, is it the systems and processes? Is it kind of how they sort of calendar out their day? What sorts of specific things are you talking about? So I often start with, what do you want your work day to look like? Do you want to work nine to five Monday through Friday? Do you have kids and you want to work 10 to three? Do you want to work Saturday mornings? Because maybe that's a good time to work. And we often get stuck in this loop of that's not how we do things as attorneys. Like mm. this isn't how attorneys have normally practiced. So when the first thing I design, I'm like, what do you want your day to look like? Do you want to work 10 to two Monday, Wednesday, Friday? 
And if that's what you want, then do it. Don't say, oh, I can't do that. My clients won't let me do that. The corn won't let me do that. So that's the first thing I usually look at. And then the second parts and third parts of design are usually practice areas. You may have to switch practice areas if you want to design that's, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at, you know, 10 to two or whatever. And then there's the money aspect of it. What do you need to make for your practice in order to make this work? And so looking at the design means more. And what do you like to do? So do you like the admin work? And I don't know very many attorneys who like the admin style of of the work. And how many billable hours do you want? Or do you want to escape the billable hour altogether? So really, what does this practice look like? And who are you serving with this when you come up with this design? Cool. Yeah. So, all right. So you mentioned three things there. You mentioned kind of the overall schedule, the actual area of law they're practicing in and, and the money aspect of it. So I want to, I want to break down each one of those three things. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, you mentioned the traditional 40 hour a week, five day work week, more and more people, I think, especially at least outside of the legal world, because I, I mean, you and I know the legal world is like one of the last industries to adopt anything. A lot of that is going away. You know, I mean, even even us here at Spotlight Branding, you know, we we're we're transitioning out of that. You know, we we were 40 hours a week, five days a week. Then we went to kind of remote Fridays. Now it's like half day Fridays. So now we're like, you know, 36 hours a week, five days a week. But like it's trending in that direction. And I know a bunch, you know, I know other businesses who are like four day work weeks now and, and all of that. What are you seeing? in the legal world and, and what sorts of schedules have you actually helped other attorneys design and, and be successful with? So what I am seeing a lot of is non-traditional hours and you'll see this sometimes in Facebook groups, someone will post, Oh, I have a client who wants to meet on Saturday mornings. Do you ever meet on Saturday mornings with your clients? And you'll get the old school attorneys who will post, Oh no, I never do that. That's not how laws practice. And, and that kind of between those people out. And then I have the ones who say, yes, Saturday mornings are a great time because my kids are with their dad or my kids are with their mom on Saturdays and it gives me a great time to work. So I've done some schedules that have been Monday, Wednesday, full-time in the office because they have childcare those days and Saturday mornings. And then I have other ones too, that they like their night owls. They like working at night and they're very productive. And so we've done some schedules that were almost evening, part-time schedules, five to 10 PM, you know, three or four days a week, that kind of thing. So what I really want to get out there is that you can do whatever you want. You can create whatever schedule you want, as long as you design the clientele around that kind of schedule. Obviously, if you have a court hearing at 9 a.m., you can't have a 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. schedule. Right. No, and that's that's really brilliant because I like you said, like I think a lot of, of lawyers don't necessarily think that way. You know, it's like, you know, you, you say yourself, it's like, well, this is the way we've always done it. So this is kind of how it has to be. And you're just not necessarily the case. So um, the other, the second aspect of it was the practice areas and, and the area of law that you're practicing. And so, you know, my thought on it is, you know, especially when we're looking at it from the marketing side, you know, we, we encourage people to niche down, maybe just have one or two. In some instances, that may not work, but um, it also, I think, you know, especially when it comes to mental health and just enjoying being a lawyer, you want to do something that you actually enjoy doing. So how do you then kind of make that decision in, in terms of like what practice area areas to choose 
and you know maybe you know how even if it's like eliminating a bunch of different practice areas how do you go through that process and and get people to make a decision on that so i often will look at the person in front of me and say, what's your superpower? Like, what do you really like doing? What, what problem do you solve? And we almost have to identify the ideal client before we get to the practice area sometimes. And so oftentimes it's just going through a lot of questions. And the first instinct that pops into your mind is what I usually take on those discussions, because if someone really likes helping people with a specific problem, then let's design the practice around solving that problem, not necessarily around a practice area. I think lawyers get caught up in, I do real estate law, I do estate planning, I do personal injury. And I'm more focused on what problem do you solve? And then tell people that's what you do instead of these generic practice areas. So. Yeah. And that, and that's really, and I think also, I think an element of it is, um, you know, what are the needs going on, you know, in the community? Right then, because I mean, you know, I think I think if you're in a city where there's 50 family lawyers versus maybe three business lawyers, maybe if you're going down the family route, if you still want to do that, that's fine. But I think you are you're acknowledging that you're going to have some a few more challenges in front of you when you have more competition. Right. You're going to have to find something that makes you different than all of those Mm -hmm. other family law attorneys and whatever you're doing out there. And that's actually not that hard to do. You just have to be willing to not think like a lawyer for a few minutes. Right. But I don't know that I, that seems like it's a lot more challenging. (laughs) It sounds, Um, but yeah. So, so the third aspect of that was the money side of things, you know, and a lot of lawyers that, that I've talked to, um, it seems to focus on, on just the overall revenue and, and basically getting like a certain number of clients to then hit a certain revenue number. Is that the way it, they should be looking at, or is there something else that they should be considering along the way? Well, I think it's important to talk about the money part of it. People don't talk about money in general. And I, that's what I want to get out there is yes, they, yeah. there's this gross revenue goal that you sometimes have. And yes, there's a client number that you get out there, but actually sitting down and talking about what number you have to hit in order to have the take home that you need. And then backing into what does that look like for clients? Are you going to bill by the hour? Are you going to do flat fee engagements? Do you need to only bring in two or three clients? When I first started out, I only needed two clients a month to break even and bring home enough money because I was charging for what I was doing appropriately. So when we talk about money, it's not so much just the revenue numbers and the number of clients. It's what do you need? And have you actually looked at those numbers to see how it's going to work? And really people don't talk about money. My practice area before I did a lot of this was bankruptcy and debt and credit. And a lot of those discussions could have been avoided by just talking about money to start with. Yeah. And, and I, you know, part of that, and, and one of the things that I've seen a lot of lawyers struggle with is, is just coming up with the rates that they charge, you know, like whether it's hourly, I know a lot of people don't even do hourly anymore. Maybe it's flat fee contingency, whatever the case is. Do you have any tips for people who just to try to help them come up with that number that they should be charging? Yeah, it's, a lot of times that's looking at the market to see what's out there, but also what do you need to bring home and what value are you offering to your clients? For example, let's say that I'm going to help someone get rid of $100,000 worth of debt in bankruptcy. The value of that, I can 
sell. I know attorneys hate the sell word, but I can pitch that a lot better. If I say, look, for $4,000, I can help you get rid of $100,000 of debt. But what I've seen other bankruptcy attorneys do is go, oh my gosh, it's going to be $1,500. And I know that's a lot of money and I'm so sorry. And they almost apologize for their fees before they, they tell them what it is. And so I think being really confident in what you're doing and offering the value of it versus this is the fee and I'm sorry that it's so much type thing. So I do a lot of helping people determine what their value is, what they're offering their clients instead of focusing on the number of hours it takes to do something. So a lot of times, and then the whole no charging thing, I get a lot of attorneys who have all these NCs all over their bills where they don't charge for their time because they feel bad that they've run up a bill. Mm -hmm. And getting out of that mindset is really important. The the NCs and the bills kill me. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it's your time. People are coming to you with the expectation that they are going to be paying for your time. So it's completely reasonable to, to then charge for that. And I mean, you know, and, and I think to your point, I I think, you know, when talking about lawyers who maybe feel bad for charging about things, you know, we talk a lot about the marketing side of things. And and if you're, if your marketing is, is showcasing your expertise and, and showing that you're the top candidate, you know, top lawyer in your community to work with, people aren't going to balk at any kind of price or any, or object to any amount that, that you're going to charge for them. And a lot of times I tell lawyers that you don't want everyone, like you don't want every client out there. The clients that you want are the ones that fit your business model, fit your timing. They fit your revenue goals. They fit those things. And the other attorneys out there will take the leftovers because those are their ideal clients. So there's lots of work out there for all of us. You just have to find your ideal client that way. Exactly. Exactly. And then you look like a hero because maybe, you know, even if you can't help that person, you can point them in the right direction. And now all of a sudden you're not just a hero in that, in that person's eyes, but now you're referring business to another lawyer. It's like, oh, wow, that, that's another great lawyer just, you know, handing business. So like, I mean, a lot of these like obstacles and hesitations, I think are very easily overcome when you just sit down and like draw it out. Yes, they are. It's a lot of mindset type things. Yes. Yeah. So one other, one other sort of question that I had for you around money. Um, so mm-hmm. I talked uh, a little bit earlier about the, the legal marketing trends report that we released. And one of the questions that we had in there was just to see how many lawyers are offering free consultations. And 75% of our respondents said that their firms do offer a free consultation. So what's your opinion on that? Is it something that a law firm should do, shouldn't do? What what do you think? Well, I always joke that free is the other F word out there (laughs) for lawyers. (laughs) However, it is up to your design of your firm. If you want Mm -hmm. to give free consultations and that's how you're designing your firm and you want to give a free consult, that's true. That's totally fine to do. However, I would caution attorneys who think they have to give a free consult. What I hear all the time is, well, I have to do this because everybody in my practice area does a free consult and I'll never get any clients if I don't give a free consult. Then I would challenge them to think through what are you offering in your consult that you could charge for? And those of us who do charge for consults have found our business grow exponentially as we've started charging for, for consults versus giving them away. And I'm in a practice area that traditionally free consults are like the, the marketing technique to use, and I yeah. don't do free consults. So I'm a big fan of charging for your time and putting boundaries around your time and billing for it so that you actually can have the revenue that you need and you can have the practice you want so you're not stressed out all the time. 
Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, cause I can see, I can see the pros and cons of, of, of one way or another. I mean, have you, have you noticed any sort of uh, like improved conversion from, yes. from leads to clients when you charge? Okay. Yeah. Yes. So what I often hear from other attorneys is their no-show rate. They have this high no-show rate because people don't mm-hmm. show up for their appointments and even Zoom helped a little bit with that, but yeah. it's still a high no-show rate. But if I charge, they have to pay before they get to talk to me. It's 24 hours beforehand. And yeah. my no-show rate is, I don't remember the last time someone didn't show up for an appointment. Now, sometimes there's things that come up and we have to reschedule and that kind of thing. But and then conversion too. once they've talked to me and we've gone through their plan and figured out what they're going to do almost every time they go with what I recommend because they're like, they're invested at that point. They've paid for yeah. the session. They've gone through it and they've looked at it. As long as we click, then they usually go forward with it. But yeah, that's. Yeah. I, would, I mean, I would imagine it, it may, you know, it weeds out the people who aren't you know, like you said, fully committed yet, or even partially committed, you know, and, and yes. ready to move And I forward. will say that from a bankruptcy standpoint, like going back to my main practice area, just looking at that yeah. side of things, if someone can't afford a couple hundred dollars to talk to me for, about their financial situation, there's very little chance they can afford the actual fees it would take to solve their financial situation. So I get yeah. a lot fewer of the tire kicker discussions because we do charge for that initial consult. Yeah. So then I guess kind of on the other side of that, um, because I mentioned like 75% said they offered a free consultation. What was interesting is that it was, there were two other options and they were split evenly at 12 and a half percent where it was the fee for the consultation is then kind of rolled over into the overall retainer or it's a separate fee altogether. What's, what is your stance on that? So because I'm in a bankruptcy practice, I have to disclose my fees to the court. So it does get rolled in because it's all disclosed. However, my fees tend to be a little bit higher in general. So I don't advertise that it's rolled over into the fee if they retain me. It's just that for that session. But I think there are a couple of different ways to do it. I think you can say we're going to include that in your ongoing billing, that kind of thing, or this is just the session. And if you want to talk to me again, I do have a lot of clients who just book a point all of cart appointments, like every couple months, they'll book an appointment, just pay me for my hour of time. And then they, they go about their business and, and get their plans. So I think there, I don't think any of these ways are wrong, to be honest. Yeah. I think it all goes back to the design and how you want your practice to run. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I completely agree. I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be tailored to uh, each, each individual situation. Um, I want to end on mental health and stress because I, you know, I know there's, there's all kinds of talk around just the legal industry in general, having one of the, the highest rates of depression, suicide, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, what, what can lawyers do to just kind of stay in love with their firm and work and just kind of avoid as much stress and burnout as possible. I think a lot of that goes back to selecting the clients that you want to work with and doing the work that you want to do. One of the fun exercises I often do is I have people go through and write down what do they like doing about their practice and what do they not like doing in their practice. And it could be all kinds of, we have like a huge list of things that we pick from and I find that the people who get burnt out are trying to do all of the things on the not like list. They're trying to do billing. They're trying to do intake. They're trying to do all the things they don't like doing. Mm. And so one of the best ways to do that is outsource the things you don't like doing. 
And I know, and that sounds scary because there's payroll involved and there's all kinds of things, but the attorneys who do that find their firms grow much faster and there's more revenue coming in because first of all, they're happy and that kind of gets put out into the world. It's a lot of, you kind of attract what you put out there. And then they're also able to focus on the parts that they like. So they're generating more business because it, it looks good to the outside world too. Yeah. And like, I, I totally hear you on delegating because obviously we're a marketing company. We want lawyers to delegate the, the marketing side of things to us, but I don't know. I mean, what if, you know, let's say I'm a lawyer. What if, you know, you talked about the other aspect of that is being selective with who you work with. Mm-hmm. What if, what if, you know, I'm, I'm too selective and, and I don't end up bringing in enough revenue to, ultimately right. then make the, you know, have the life that I want to live. So I would caution that there's no such thing as too selective because go with your gut instinct on things. I have, when I first started, I took every you know case that came in and I was miserable because you could tell that I didn't like the person and we didn't quite match, but I was like, Oh, I need, I need this a thousand dollars in order to make my, my revenue. I would encourage people to find ways of revenue generation that don't involve taking cases and people they don't like to work with. You can do of counsel work. You can do contract lawyering. You could do consulting. There are a lot of things you can do with a law degree that don't involve just a single practice area. A lot of lawyers should be looking at how can they consult? There's a lot of business consulting that can be done out there with a law degree. So develop things that make you happy And then the money kind of will flow after that. That's what I have found is you've come up with a solution to people's problems. The solution gets out there in the marketplace and you start attracting those clients who want those solutions instead of, oh, I need an estate planning lawyer. I harp on estate planning lawyers a lot. Don't, sorry. (laughs) But I always hear them saying, oh, I do wills, trusts, and estates. And no one knows what that means. So I tell them, find a solution, find a problem, solve it, and then market your solution. So, right. Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm so glad that I had you on because I mean, these are a lot of things that, you know, we keep saying, but I think it's really good to hear it from someone who is actually in that line of work and who's been there uh, and, and has, has the experience, you know, whether it's data or just, you know, seeing it happen over and over again uh, to, to back it up. How can people uh, get in touch with you uh, to, to learn more and, and potentially get some help? Sure. I have a website at lawyersuccessnetwork.com is where I do a lot of my coaching. And there's this brand launch that I launched earlier this year, helping lawyers go solo. That's off of Lawyer Success Network. LinkedIn is also a great place. I do a lot of posting on LinkedIn and things like that. So lots awesome. of design, lots of the business development ideas. Awesome. Yeah. And so I will, I'll make sure that that information is in the show notes. I do have one final question for you. It is the one question that we ask all of our guests here on center stage. And that is if you had one final piece of advice for our listeners, what would it be? If you are thinking about going on your own, there is never the perfect time. Just do it. Open up your firm because we all look back and say, I wish I would have done this earlier. Awesome. Yes. And, and there are so many like great resources out there like you um, who are ready and willing to help people get started on that journey and, and to do it, 
you know, there's not one right way, but to do it a right way, especially one that, that fits for you. So that's, that's really great. And I really do appreciate that. Uh, that's going to do it for us this week on center stage, uh, continue to rate and review us, uh, wherever you're listening and consuming the show. We really do appreciate it. And, uh, that's going to be it. Jen, thanks so much. Thank you, John. Thanks for listening. To learn more, go to spotlightbranding.com slash center stage.